if you just slow down and focus on what is working and just really hone in on that process and operation, I think that's where real growth starts to happen. And I've had to step back and say, it's okay if it takes us a couple years to get there. If we can really get the process right, everything else will fall into place and then it'll be easier to move to that, you know, location number two, three, 10, 50. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and on today's episode, Desiree Noisette, former corporate attorney and now founder and owner of Mermosa Winery and Boutique, joins the podcast to share the hustle, hardship, and payoff that she's experienced while starting, funding, and persevering through her entrepreneurial journey. So Desiree, so excited to have you here today. I've had the pleasure of visiting the store and the ambiance and the wine and the music and the beautiful, colorful pieces that make your store so unique. You've called it the perfect sip and shop experience, and I couldn't agree more. I ended up sipping and shopping. (laughs) Could you share some more about the brand and the company Mermosa, as well as sort of how this unique idea originated? Sure. So Mermosa is, like you said, the ultimate sip and shop experience. Something that really sets us apart is that we make our own wines. They're really good. And we also are fit experts with swimwear and styling experts. So when you come in our store, you'll see a lot of swimwear, you'll see a lot of apparel. And at the end, there's a big glittery mermaid, gold mermaid scale bar. And we try to make everybody feel very comfortable. We actually started as a swimwear store about seven years ago. And I was, we were called Cerulean Blue at that time. Mm-hmm. Try to say that seven times fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's tough. And I learned pretty quickly that swimwear shopping was a lot more fun if you had wine. So I couldn't agree more. <laughs> So we already have a very fun environment, and once we added wine, it just became like a party every day. So we were serving other people's wine at parties and other events at the store, and eventually I decided we need to have our own, and it needs to be made for Florida's climate, for a tropical setting, but not necessarily using traditional Florida grapes. So our wines tend to be drier. We do add a little bit of pineapple and orange juice to one of our varietals, but everything is very refreshing, expertly crafted, and it just really sets the tone for a party-like experience, which is not something you're typically used to when you're shopping for swimwear. Absolutely. I can testify to that. And that's how I found you, actually. I was looking for a swimsuit, and when you handed me a glass of champagne and the swimsuit, it was a much more palatable process. <laughs> exactly. And, I like that, palatable. <laughs> yeah. And I walked out with a dress, I think, and a swimsuit that day, and some mm-hmm. of your wine. So yes. uh, I can attest to that. I read that you were educated as a lawyer. Tell me a little bit true. more about that. <laughs> So you're recovering. I'm married to an attorney, too. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's not practicing either now. He's a recovering attorney. So how did you make the transition from law into running a swimwear and now a swimwear and wine store? So I practiced construction law with a really great group of people. I loved the people I worked with. But after about five years, I realized this business of law, because it, it is, you basically need to build your own book of business. It was not something that made me feel satisfied. I practiced in an area where you're either arguing or you're thinking about arguing. And 
I remember at some of my year-end reviews, my bosses would say things to me like, we know that you're that you're working. You know, you can bill when you're in the shower. You can bill when you're thinking about cases. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it really is a, a, a profession where you're constantly on the clock. And it created a level of stress in my life that impacted my physical, you know, just it, it impacted me physically. And this is something that I think a lot of female lawyers go through and don't really talk about. But it was impossible for me to get pregnant when I was practicing law. And I actually went to, you know, see the fertility specialists. I had surgery. I did IVF. And most of the women that practice law that I worked with also had similar experiences. Interesting. The stress, I guess. The stress. Yeah. And then I stopped practicing. I opened my store. And, you know, two years later, I was pregnant. So, How exciting. Yeah, it, it is. But so anyway, I kind of already, to get back to your question, I kind of already was thinking that this probably wasn't going to be a good long-term solution for me if I wanted to have a family and run right. my own business. Mm-hmm. And so one day I was at a restaurant in St. Pete having drinks with a girlfriend of mine, and it was it was January. And I remember we were like, we shouldn't be eating these nachos. We should be slimming down for swimwear. And then all of a sudden, this night out turned into us complaining about our bodies and how hard it was to shop for swimwear. And I left thinking, like, this has to stop. This can't go on. There has to be a place where women can go and feel safe and celebrate womanhood when shopping for swimwear. So next thing you know, I'm writing a business plan and calling up brokers for real estate. And Cerulean Blue was born a couple months later. I quit my job and cashed out my 401k. (laughs) That was scary. (laughs) Yeah, that was scary. And you've had support from your family along the way in this, I assume, I hope. I have had support. And in fact, in my new venture, some of my family members are investors with Mimosa. So well, that can be both good and bad, I guess, at, at certain They're times. They're silent partners. They, yeah, it was a, it was very much a we want to support you type of endeavor. Great. So, Great. Yeah. So you went from being an attorney to opening Cerulean Blue, and you did that for about seven years, I think, or six years, or five years? About about five years. Five years. Until the- and then you decided to make a transition into this new wine and swim concept. And yes. I've never heard of that before. Is there Are there other stores that do that sort of thing? There are some stores that do a sip and shop model where they serve alcohol. In fact, a lot of higher-end boutiques serve alcohol, and they'll have champagne or vodka, right. or, you know, in the stores. But and they don't sell it. There well. are a few that are popping up now that also sell, mm-hmm. but they're structured differently. We're a winery, so we own the brand. We source the grapes. We go through the winemaking process. I'm licensed on a federal and state and local level, so it's a, it's a different uh, type of margin, frankly, and Mm -hmm. process, a lot Mm -hmm. more involved. Mm -hmm. And so we are the only winery and boutique that exists out there right now. That's exciting. So so how did you get educate yourself on the whole piece of being, you know, a vintner? I picked up the phone and I called a lot of people and asked a lot of stupid questions. (laughs) And there were some really kind people in Oregon that said, hey, come on out here, come to my house. And I'll teach you how to do this. And so I basically got hooked up with some very experienced winemakers in Oregon that were interested in my project and were willing to help me get started. And I took every piece of advice that they gave me. And and now I have some really great friends in Oregon that are that are like family. And, you know, it was really just, I guess, other people believing in me. Mm-hmm. 
that helped me get to this point. Yeah, that's that's great. I love hearing that. I think there have been times in my life where other people believed in me before I did, and they helped me get to that point where I, I was willing to kind of take a risk and kind of move forward. So you mentioned that you got pregnant shortly after. You have one, two, two, two children. Two children. Yeah. So you're you're a young mom, and with how old are your children? Five. My oldest just turned five last week. So little ones. Two and a half. Yeah. So yes. little so you're a mom with little children and you've got your own business. How do you manage all that? What's your product <laughs> what's your do you have any suggestions for productivity? No. <laughs> you just every put everything on the calendar. The shared calendar with my husband is is what we need to survive. Right. We have real I, I kind of I didn't want to be stuck to a calendar for many years after practicing law where every minute is, you know, six-minute increments. I really kind of pushed against that, but I have to have it. Otherwise, kids aren't getting picked up from school. They're not making it to doctor's appointments. So I think just coordinating with your partner is the number one thing that I can suggest. The other one is uh, hopefully find a partner that's okay with flexibility. Right. Um, right. You never know when the air conditioning is going to go out in your commercial space and you're going to have to go down and siphon water out of the drain pan. <laughs> um, you never know when a kid's going to get sick at school and, and somebody's going to have to juggle and go pick them up. Um, you know, things happen and you just have to have work to through it. Roll with it. Roll with yeah. it. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. So when you and I first met, I remember I was talking about some research that I'd read about women and how they like to shop online and have a glass of wine while they're shopping. And you mentioned to me that you'd love to share that with your investors. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with, the the startups, the students that want to be entrepreneurs that are trying to succeed, they need money to, to get their business moving forward. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about you know what how that worked for you and sure. and you know what's your strategy been for getting mm-hmm. the money together to do what you needed to do i probably took a little bit of a non-traditional route i don't know there are probably a lot of a lot of small business owners that did this but one of the deals my husband and i have is that in order for us to have a healthy marriage we will not encumber our house with a business loan so we would rather sell our house and take money from that sale and put it into the business than get a, a business loan that encumbers our, our real estate. And that just helps us breathe better. Mm-hmm. So for my first venture with Cerulean Blue, I wasn't married yet to my now husband. I was recently divorced and I didn't have, obviously didn't have kids yet. So I didn't have anybody to tell me no. So I was really lucky. My my ex-husband in our very amicable settlement, he gave me the equity in our home in cash before we sold it so that I could jump on this piece of real estate for our commercial, you know, for my endeavor with Cerulean Blue. And that money from my house, plus cashing out my 401ks, that is what funded Cerulean Blue. And then with Mermosa, once we transitioned into that business, I kind of rolled all the assets from Cerulean Blue into Mermosa. And I took on some investors like my brother and sister-in-law, they you know gave us a little bit of money. I have some other friends and family that all chipped in, and that's it. Plus, we sold our then home and took that money and put it into the business and moved to an apartment for a year. We just recently purchased another home in St. Pete, but we we decided we would rather not encumber things that could stress us out in right. our marriage while right. we take this big risk. 
And now we're at the point where, okay, we've been in business for a year as Marmosa, and we just finished our annual shareholders meeting in the middle of June. Now we know where we're going. We have a laser focus. We are redoing our business plan that takes into account where we are, and we'll be seeking more funding. And this time, it'll be from people that are strategic partners, so people that have industry expertise in franchising, people that have manufacturing experience, and people that have, you know, wine-making experience, so that we can have a really robust board. Because at this point, it's been me wearing, you know, a million different hats, Mm -hmm. and we can't expand if I'm wearing a million hats. We need people who've been there before— They can help us identify, okay, in this industry, you need to have someone that does X, Y, and Z, and they need to have these qualifications, and this is how much it's going to cost you to do that. And, you know, that's where we are. Well, that's exciting. You know, that that takes a lot of courage. But I will tell you that the the research supports what you're doing because so many— That's good to hear. (laughs) Well, so many people believe that it's easier and less risky to stay small. And staying small can have its benefits. My mom had her own retail business, and she stayed small, and there was a reason that she did that. But staying small can often come at a risk. And if you look at the research, businesses that do focus on growth and grow and get bigger tend to be more likely to succeed. So, you know, now that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of willingness to to take on risk. But and a lot know, of failure. <laughs> and and there will be failure along the way. It's just kind of how you define that, right? right? And whether you stop and whether you keep going. So good luck with all that. And and I'm thrilled to hear that you have a strategy and a plan, obviously, for going forward. Are you interested in sharing some of that? Like, what, what, are, what are your plans for growing what you're, what you're working on now? We're looking towards a franchise model. And it's exciting. It is exciting. And it's not something that I envisioned when I wrote our business plan for Mermosa, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. I didn't even know franchising was possible given the regulatory structure in the alcohol industry, but I figured out a way to replicate our model and make it simple for people. I think one of the scariest things about the alcohol industry is, you know, all the rules. And I think that this is something where my legal, you know, experience actually helps a little bit. I've been able to work with regulators to figure out how we're supposed to do things properly. And I feel like I can communicate that in a pretty simple system. Mm -hmm. And our branding is really strong. My manufacturing experience, I, you know, a couple years ago, I had a clothing line, but that manufacturing experience has helped me create products that are our brand. So yeah, our plan is to move forward with franchising where, you know, a significant portion of our products are things that we make ourselves. And I decided several years ago that retail status quo just wasn't going to work. You need to make your own things or have a significant differentiator to really absorb all of the competition from online shopping if you're going to have a brick-and-mortar store. That leads me right into where where I was thinking about heading next, the whole idea of how do you compete with Amazon and Walmart and all the other online shopping today as a brick-and-mortar store? Experience. The customer experience. When I was uh, doing research for our annual shareholders meeting earlier this month, I found this report from KPMG. I don't know if you've, I'll send it over Mm -hmm. to you. It's, I forgot the title of it, but it's essentially saying customer experience is a new key performance indicator. And so a lot of 
big businesses are trying to harness an in-store experience to go along with their online store. So even the Amazons and the Nordstroms that have, you know, have their big box stores, they're creating these smaller capsule-like experiences for their customers to just have a community and something unique. And so I thought, well, that's something I'm already doing. I'm just going to keep doing that. (laughs) And I think I need to work on figuring out what our key performance indicators are for our type of business. So I will continue creating a special experience for people to combat the online shopping and, you know, having a great location doesn't hurt either. Right. Yeah. You're in downtown St. Petersburg, which has undergone a tremendous revival in the last probably 10 years. Mm -hmm. I moved here 10 years ago and I've seen a lot of that that improvement. So you're, you've are you got a great location there. And we, we really do. We're very fortunate. Yeah. So I love the franchising idea, too, and the idea of scalability. And that that is getting your formula right and mm-hmm. figuring out how to measure that and 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 how to how to scale that. So that's uh, kudos to you. That Thank sounds you. exciting. Yeah. It'll be a lot of work, like you said. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. But at the end of the day, I think it'll be rewarding. And, and so it'll matter. And in and I think in Getting dealing like we said with the Amazons and the and the WalMarts, I think brick and mortar retailers have to think about how they yes. how they do that. But yeah. but I know personally, I've ordered a ton of bathing suits online, and when I walked into your store, I said, "Do you have?" And I described what I wanted. You handed me two swimsuits. I tried on the first one. I ended up buying it. That so, happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> tremendous for me. And, you know, I'll, I'll be back for sure. Thank so, you. Thank it you. matters. I've sent back so many bathing suits that I've ordered online. So a lot of entrepreneurs, almost well, every entrepreneur has to deal with failure from time to time. And, you know, or at least with less than desirable outcomes. Right. And I, one of the things I like to try to ask my guests to share is a little bit about some of the hardship or challenges or failures that they've dealt with and, and how, they've, how they've managed to deal with those. Do you have some stories to share I there? A, I have a couple of kind of major ones. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to expand into the space next to me. We were doing really, really well at our current location, and... So I said, yes, this is a great idea. And at the same time, I decided we need our own clothing line. So we knocked down the walls. We did construction. I had, you know, a store manager. We tripled our staff. We doubled our rent. And I'm out traveling, working on our manufacturing, doing our print designs and, you know, creating a clothing line for our store, which was really good for us. But it was like, why don't you just focus on one thing? (laughs) <laughs> right. We took we took on too much. Yeah. At all at the same time. I think if we had just done one or the other, then it would have been, you know, one one of them would have done better and I I probably would have chosen just expanding our footprint and I would have done it in a different way. For anybody who's thinking about knocking down the wall in between two stores, don't do it. Just do a small <laughs> just do a small opening cuz you lose retail space on both sides. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and that's what you're trying to do is create more retail space. But we, yeah. So anyway, that was probably one of the toughest things to do was, and I remember I was very pregnant at the time and 
talking to my landlord. I don't think this is going to work. Is there an exit strategy here? And, you know, we ended up working things out. But, you know, I'm still dealing with repercussions of, of those things. And you just have to chalk them up to a learning experience. Right. I mean, ultimately, the graphic design skills that I gained from my clothing line led me to be able to create some really great branding for Mermosa. And if I hadn't gone through that textile design process, I wouldn't have learned how to create the the designs for our labels, for example, which are actually pretty complicated because we use a special metallic type of, you know, adhesive paper. So at the end of the day, I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't gone through those failures. So it's kind of like tuition, right? Yeah. That, you know, that's exactly what I tell my husband. I tell him, I don't need to go get an MBA because I have learned from the school of hard knocks. And he's like, right. yeah, I have too. Look at my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> right. It takes a while to recover sometimes financially, but the, the lessons are, are really powerful a lot they of times. So. And I don't know how you can get there without going through the failures yeah. as an entrepreneur. So did you ever want to give up during those times or was that ever an option for you? It's always been a question on the table. Well, not not since Mermosa, but it was certainly with Cerulean Blue. Was You know, we had an opportunity to sell. And with the economy being so strong in St. Pete and our real estate being so good, we've had, you know, this is kind of crazy. People leave letters on our door asking us if we want to sell our business. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so I've, I've had an opportunity to do that, but I just haven't felt like the work here is done. Right. And and especially now, now with the new vision that you have for everything. Yes, this opens up a whole new world of, of possibilities. And plus, I've taken on other people's money, and I want to make sure that they get a return on their investment, right. too. There's so a lot of responsibility with that. Yeah. I feel immense responsibility to, you know, make this money for my friends and family that, that believed in us. Sure. Believed in me. Sure. Along the way, have you had any mentors or role models that have been instrumental in helping you with uh, with what you're doing as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. The first one that comes to mind is someone that I wouldn't have considered to be a mentor on paper at first. Uh, his name is John Labuddy. He owns a swimwear store in downtown St. Pete. He's been there over 30 years. And when I went to look at my first commercial space, the number on the door was, you know, it said John Labuddy, Vector Real Estate. So I, he was the listing agent. He's a real estate broker, a serial entrepreneur, and you would think he'd be a competitor, but he's actually been someone that has has helped me tremendously to build Cerulean Blue and now Mermosa. And he was the first person outside of my family that I told about the Mermosa idea. Wow. And I told him about the idea, and two weeks later, he said, send me your business plan. I want in. So... You know, having someone with so much business experience in the restaurant world, the retail world, the real estate world has been an incredible, you know, mentorship type of relationship. And then another one is, are you familiar with the greenhouse in St. Pete? Mm -hmm. The greenhouse has a gentleman named Wayne Brass, mm -hmm. who seven years ago helped me get started with Cerulean Blue. And he's like my go-to person if I need market research or have a question. And he's one of those people that like, he already knows the answer, but he'll ask you questions that help you get to that answer. Right. And at the end of, you know, meeting with him, I'm like, wow, you just, you just did a, uh, you know, like a ninja move on me, <laughs> on me and helps me realize this, you know, this part of my business that I didn't really know existed. So I would say those are two of my top, top mentors. And then actually my, my sister-in-law, she has a photography business in Jacksonville and has been very successful 
building her business. And so I ask her for a lot of advice. And, right. Yeah, and she right. helps me too. So, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about this. Uh, one of the things that when I talk to students, I talk to them about building their network and, and I help them kind of pull together a list of the resources that they have already available to them. And for many of them, it's the, the network of people and sometimes people like you mentioned that you don't necessarily think of that can be an important part of, of your success and helping you learn more about yourself. Yes. And, yes. and you mentioned several groups in St. Pete. Here in Tampa Bay, we have a lot of growth in the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem. You do. Have you found that helpful to Absolutely. what you're doing, Absolutely. the connection with all of those? Yes. I can't imagine starting my business in any other city. Speaking of failures, to go back, I had a seasonal swimwear store in Newberry Street in Boston for about six months. Wow. When um, was that? <laughs> this was right after my first year of operations. There were some personal reasons for opening in Boston as well, but there were no year-round uh, swimwear stores in Boston at the time. And I learned why. Uh, <laughs> when yeah, I sometimes moved there. there's a reason when there's a gap in the market. Yeah. Yes, yes. I learned why when I moved there in April and it was still 40 degrees. But yeah, so I had a, a swimwear so, store. In, so this is a lesson for a girl that grew up in Florida, right? We talked about the fact you grew up in uh, Jacksonville, yes. right? Yes. Which you said is sometimes referred to as Southern Georgia, right? Very much. The yeah. culture is very much, yeah. Some, some hybrid Florida, Georgia there. But yeah, so I opened a, a store up in, in Boston. And the there was no business community there. For some, I just expected to be able to start a business, you know, start this seasonal store. I had a six-month lease. And I'd find the business, you know, the local business group. And I'd join that. And I'd make, build relationships. And it would be great. No. I went to one meeting. People were rude. Sorry, Boston. I <laughs> love the food there, but the business community is really tough and it's very, very spread out. So that was a, a learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg, on the other hand, and Tampa Bay in general, you know, people are very welcoming. My former neighbor that where I expanded into, that's retail space next to me, I still have a very close relationship with those business owners. I actually rent warehouse space from them. She lives in the building across the street. I get you know, advice from her all the time, from that business owner. You know, a lot of the younger female entrepreneurs like me, we all have kids. We share our struggles and we bring our kids to work with us sometimes. It's just part of the experience and it feels very much like a supportive, supportive community. That must be really helpful. It is. I think. It is. an entrepreneur. So if, uh, as you know, I work with uh, students who are aspiring entrepreneurs, and many of the folks listening to this podcast will be interested in starting their own business and looking for advice. If, if you had one piece of advice, or if you could go back and give yourself at least one piece of advice, and it can be more than one piece of advice, but what, what, would, what do you wish you had known, and what would you like to share with our audience about you know, starting a business, mm -hmm. being your own boss. Mm -hmm. I would say slow down and focus. One of the challenging parts about being an entrepreneur is seeing so many opportunities right. and wanting to chase them. Chase the bright, shiny <laughs> objects. Yes. <right? laughs> if you just slow down and focus on what is working and just really hone in on that process and operation— I think that's where real growth starts to happen. And I've had to step back and say, it's okay if it takes us a couple years to get there. If we can really get the process right, everything else will fall into place and then it'll be easier to move 
to that, you know, location number two, three, 10, 50. Um, Great advice. I love it. That's where I am. I love it. Well, where can our listeners find you? This has been a great conversation for me, but I know they're going to want to follow what you're doing. And uh, so tell us where they can find you. You can visit us in downtown St. Pete. When you get off the highway, you dead end right at our shop in in the beautiful St. Petersburg waterfront. We're called Mermosa. Mermosa Mermosa.com. On Instagram, Mermosa Flagship. On Facebook, Mermosa Flagship. Basically, if you put Mermosa in, we come up. So Google us. Thank you. Thank you.